This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 134, Balance for Athletes and Yogis. Do you ever feel out of balance? Maybe your priorities right now feel a little off, or you literally feel physically shaky or unstable on your feet. If so, today's episode is for you. For this episode, I sat down with Sage Roundtree. Sage is a pioneer in yoga for athletes and an endurance sports coach. She's also the co-owner of the Carolina Yoga Company and director of its teacher training programs. On top of her PhD, she's the author of nine books, including the Professional Yoga Teacher's Handbook, Teaching Yoga Beyond Poses, and The Athlete's Guide to Yoga. As a yoga teacher and teacher trainer, she holds classes and trainings online and around the globe. She's been invited to places like the Pentagon, the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Wanderlust Festivals, Yoga Journal Live, and more. Today, we sat down to talk about balance on and off your mat. I would really love to read your takeaways on today's episode. So as you listen, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will reshare you and this way everybody can read your takeaways. We can go deeper into the content of each episode. We can learn together and grow as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Sage. Hi, Sage. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here. Sage, for listeners that might not know you very well, can we start off with talking a little bit about yourself? Can you tell us about your journey or yourself in general? I am happy to. And I know that we're trying to keep this under 45 minutes, so feel free to cut me off at any point. <laughs> I, Cliff knows, like, you know? Yeah, I like to talk. <laughs> my name is Sage Roundtree. That is my real name. It's not just my yoga name. I got the name Sage from my parents who were not quite hippies, but they wanted a flower name. So they looked in a seed catalog until they found a flower name that they liked. I love um, it. My husband's last name is Roundtree. So you take the two and you put them together. And I know it sounds like an adopted name. But it's worked well for me as a yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga since 2003. And before that, I was teaching English literature, English composition. I have a PhD in English literature, which is why I say I can talk for 45 minutes if you want me to <laughs> without stopping. So feel free to interrupt at any moment. I am talking to you from Chapel Hill, Carborough, North Carolina. The town is literally Carborough, but it's within the Chapel Hill vicinity. Chapel Hill is the university town at the middle of our state of North Carolina. It's where I got my degree. It's where I own a pair of sister studios called Carolina Yoga Company. It's a Carborough location and a Durham location. I also own a spa, which is just wonderful. Recommended mm -hmm. to everybody because I had to do a lot of research around that, which is not at all taxing. In fact, it's quite wonderful research to do. Um, I bet. Yeah, exactly. I came to this career kind of as an exit route from academia, which I had Imagine that I would be doing it for my whole life, but quickly realized that the job market was not at all favorable and mm. that I liked teaching and I was able to teach things that I liked to people that didn't expect to be graded and that everybody would be happiest that way. So I spent many years teaching spinning, which is indoor cycling and uh, coaching endurance sports in which I participated for many years up to some semi-extreme ultra distance racing, including Ironman and ultra marathons. And uh, I've been working in the field of yoga alongside that. I specialize in yoga for athletes, but I also specialize in training teachers, both at the 200-hour entry level and also at the advanced studies level, both at my studio and just in continuing education courses. Maybe that's Beautiful. a good stopping point. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that gives us a good overview of who you are. 
So let's talk quickly about athletes, just because it is a specialty for you. And we have some listeners that are athletes, but we also have some listeners that are just, you know, yogis in its own way. So how can we focus our practice differently if we're athletes? Like what's the difference between a yoga for athlete class and your average hatha or vinyasa that you'll find at your local studio? Right. I really like to distinguish between yoga for athletes and athletic yoga and say that you know, yoga for athletes is not necessarily athletic yoga. There are points in the training cycle where it can be, namely mm-hmm. the off season, you know, mm-hmm. when you're not in your peak competitive season. But many of us who aren't self-identified athletes have come to yoga for the physical practice and even are looking for a workout or an athletic practice. And that's great for many people, but for athletes who are in a specific training cycle, it's kind of the opposite of what they need. Those athletes are looking for a complement to their training rather than an extension of their training. And it's really easy for well-intentioned yoga teacher who might've done some gymnastics in her youth, who is naturally flexible and enthusiastic to overload those athletes by trying to get them to do the kind of practice that she might do herself, but that is you know, not specific to their needs, uh, which is mostly just they need a gentle class with a little bit of balance. I often call the class I teach, which is called Yoga for Athletic Balance, it's Gentle Yoga Plus. So we don't do a whole bunch of up and down postural shifts. We don't do a ton of upper body load bearing, although there's some. It's kind of a simple class, but the plus is that at the top of the bell curve of the class, we do some dynamic balance work. And I say dynamic, like we play with getting into and out of it because the kind of balance work that we might do in a regular asana class is like, okay, everybody now come onto one leg and come to tree pose, which is cool and very useful for building kind of fundamentals of balance. Mm-hmm. But for athletes who are doing, especially a multi-planar sport like basketball or tennis or soccer, they need to be able to <laughs> control their weight by coming into the poses dynamically. And, yeah, and so there's agility, kind of there's coordination, there's little other aspects that are not just static hold of the balancing exactly. pose. Exactly. That is one of my favorite things to teach. I've written several books on the subject as well. I forgot to mention that I'm an author. I'm working on my 10th book now. Um, My first several books were focused on yoga for athletes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do we create a sequence for ourselves or for students if we know they're athletes or even, you know, like if we're not an athlete, but we want to bring more balance into what we do, like our main activity is uh, sitting in front of a computer eight hours, like we can use our yoga practice to bring in that balance to complement what we already do. So whether we do a particular sport or we have a more sedentary kind of lifestyle for work, what do we need to consider if we want to bring more balance in our practice, if we want to be creating resilience or recovery? What would you say? Erica, that's the big question. That's a great question. (laughs) So I would say that we want to think about how we're using our bodies for most of the day. And that might mean that, like you say, we're sitting in a chair, we're sitting in the car, we're sitting on the train, whatever, and we spend a lot of time in one particular position. Or if you're an athlete, it might be that you spend a lot of time in a different position, depending on your sport and even your position within the sport. So if you are a baseball catcher, you're going to spend a lot of your time down in a deep squat, which is something that most of the general population doesn't do over the course of the day. So you start to think through like, what are the habits 
And this is what makes it yoga too, because yoga is all about recognizing where our habits are and determining whether they're still useful. Yeah, exactly. So we figure out what are the movement habits in our bodies? And then how can we come into an asana practice first off that will take us a little bit through those, but then bring in some of the other movements. So as I said, I practice endurance sports and the particularly running and trail running. And that is a very, uh, trail running has got a little bit of side to side movement in it, but in general, it's forward movement in the sagittal plane. Mm -hmm. Um, but some other athletes might have a lot of multi-planar movement. Like I said, if you're playing a court sport or a ball sport, you probably are moving in different directions, but if you take a runner who's used to just going forward, 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 and pop him in typical vinyasa class that might be based around sun salutations, you're actually giving him, yep, you guys, your hands are going forward and back a whole lot of the same. Mm -hmm. And so that is putting us at risk of overloading that one particular stressor in his body when he would benefit from doing something way more you know, side to side moving, twisting, Spiral, um, side yeah. bending, you know, yeah, way more freeform and a lot more back bending because all of us do have to spend a decent amount of time sitting down regardless of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think about what the habits are and we think about how we can complement those habits by introducing other movements. And the very same thing goes in developing not just an asana routine, but self-knowledge and meditation routine for an athlete. It's like, all right, what are the usual patterns and how can we start to recognize where those patterns are and determine whether they're working in any given moment? Because sometimes Mm. the story we tell ourselves or the breath that we default to (laughs) is just not actually the best one to keep up with over the course of any endeavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I like the idea of taking the time to meet ourselves in the movement pattern that we do regularly. And we've talked about this recently. We had an episode for yoga for your mood. And she was saying, if you're feeling angry, you have to meet yourself in anger before you can bring in the opposite emotion. And so we're kind of saying the same thing here, which is interesting. If you're doing a lot of, you know, sagittal movement, then you might repeat some of that and then you will bring the rest or whatever that movement that you do a lot is. Maybe you start to warm up your body there before you add things that are less common for you, either shapes or movements or tempo or whatever it is, right? Coming into like creating that safety in your body, that trust in your body and the movements you already know, and then exploring what else is available. I like it. That's a really good lens to put on it. And something that I often say when I'm training teachers to work with athletes is we need to give them an opportunity to shine (laughs) and and to do well, because the asana practice can be really humbling for somebody who's used to doing great things with their body, but then finds it's very difficult to do X pose or Y pose because it's just totally new to them. Mm -hmm. So this is the same concept of like recognizing things as they are, acknowledging our strengths, and then starting to look around for places where we could be improved. I love it. You talked about the peak or the upper part of the curve in the class, the bell curve around balance. Why is balance an important part for you? And that whether we're talking about athletes or in general, like why is it an important part of our practice? Mm-hmm. I think balance could be a working definition of yoga. I know that we like to say <laughs> yoga means union or, you know, uh, relationship, I think is a really good a one word definition of yoga as well. But it's about balance between stira and sukha, between effort and ease, 
<laughs> between making things happen and letting things happen. And that's the project that all of us are working on <laughs> probably in our lifetimes. <laughs> so yeah. it's a great theme for every single class you teach <laughs> to find that balance. But for athletes in particular, I like to say, and this goes for every body, the balance is our key to preventing injury. So our injuries are going to fall into basically one of three categories. One is we have some kind of acute injury, and that's just the result of some kind of imbalance of the body in space. Like mm -hmm. we fall down and, and we break our wrist or we fall down and we whack our knee or, you know, we fall down and we hit our head. That's where the force of our bodies against the ground is not balanced with the force of the ground coming back at them. We lost our balance in space. So to that end, we do like single leg stuff. Like I said, dynamic approaches to balance work a lot of multi-planar stuff on the mat so we can improve our balance in space and prevent acute injuries. But many of us, especially those of us who play non-contact sports, really are more susceptible to overuse injuries where there's some kind of pattern that is totally fine in appropriate doses, but we overdose on it. We wind up accumulating some kind of inflammation in the body, mm -hmm. some kind of itis injury like plantar fasciitis, patellar tendonitis, hip bursitis, all of those itises are the result of some kind of imbalance within the body. And that might be top to bottom, front to back, left to right. It could be an imbalance between muscle strength and bone strength. So like a stress fracture uh, is an example of that kind of imbalance. So the mm -hmm. asana practice is a wonderful laboratory for bringing the body into balance as a whole. Finally, the third like overarching injury that we have would be an imbalance between work and rest, which of course contributes to overuse injuries, but contributes also to just burnout and losing your love for the activity that you were originally so excited about. And that's another place where our yoga practice can be really powerful antidote to overtraining and to burnout because it gives us a chance to slip out of the making things happen mode and into the letting things happen mode, like way into the sukha side of things. And that's where yin mm -hmm. yoga and restorative yoga Surrender. and gentle yoga breath work, meditation, yoga nidra, all of these are really important practices for athletes and everyone to find the work-rest balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love these. This was so much in such a short amount of time. People might have to rewind and like listen to it again. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's my thesis statement right there. Yeah. <laughs> If we look at the physical aspect of balance within our asana practice, What do we need to focus on either to strengthen or to open, to find a bit more ease and the effort that we need to do to find balance? Yeah, it depends on what the pose is, what the action is, but a few main lessons I think I've learned from my practice and from teaching my students. One is that we can try too hard <laughs> and mm -hmm. that it, the harder we try, there's this kind of um, catch-22. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the irony is if you're trying too hard, it's going to be tougher. So there has to be a sense of playfulness and a sense of non-competition, which can be tough, especially if you're used to teaching athletes or you're used to being good at doing stuff with your body. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to make it lower stakes or more silly in the classroom can be good. One thing I do a lot in my class is familiar balance pose, but we do it in a weird way. Like we do it standing on a block or standing on a bolster or, you know, mm. just with some particular finger set touching the wall so that this is like kind of breaking out of like, this is how I always do tree pose and everything needs to be just so. And instead mm. just make it kind of weird or silly. Sometimes we do jazz hands and we pull our jazz hands forward. So we get this visual distraction. It makes the whole thing a more challenging, but also be less challenging at the same time because it's silly. And it's just like, now we're kind of in a fun class and not in a class where we're going to be ranked on our abilities. 
Yeah. Doing some dedicated hip strengthening exercises is often very good as well. A lot of what we are developing in a, a balanced practice is a good relationship between our lower leg and our hip. So taking your shoes off whenever you can, unless you have an active foot injury, which might require you to keep them on, being on softer surfaces, all of this will be good for your foot. And then dedicated hip exercises like I really like to do Pilates, mat Pilates. So there are a whole bunch of hip things that we would do in a mat Pilates class, including particularly the side kicks series that we would do in there. All really good for getting our hips stronger. And then once our hips and our feet are in a healthy balance and having a good relationship, the whole lower body is doing better and you can balance with greater ease. Mm -hmm. So when we think about foot to hip connection, we might also think about general alignment. I don't want to say like proper or like quote unquote proper alignment. Let's go with that. How do we find our best alignment? Like how is the postural pattern an important thing to consider once we have kind of foot and hip connected in a way that is congruent? It would depend on the pose itself. The longer I practice, the less I care about giving any kind of strictures as to like, this is the right. That's why I was like, quote, unquote, quotes like the best alignment. I think the body is naturally going to come into what's working for it. And this is a moment to do a little sidebar on recognizing our role as yoga teachers unless maybe you are a physical therapist, in which case knock yourself out, but get paid your PT rates and get reimbursed (laughs) by insurance. If you're giving that kind of advice, you know, we're looking to enhance function, not to do correctives in a yoga class. So let's find a way for your body to figure out what its optimal alignment is rather than me trying to fix something because that's not within my scope of practice as a yoga teacher. Of course. Of course. I was just thinking like maybe there's some consideration to have around our hip flexors that might allow then a little bit more of like an upright position if we tend to sit a lot or, you know, there's postural things within the scope of yoga that we might include as a general thing to help our average student that might show up to class, right? Right, right. And to that end, it might be interesting to take single pair, maybe a trio of balance poses. I like something that works front back, like a a crane balance where you lift your knee in front of you or a warrior three, that would be a front back and something that works left and right. Like tree pose would be left and right, or an eagle pose would be a left and right. And then maybe a two leg balance pose, like just coming up to stand on your tiptoes or, you know, chair pose where your heels are coming up off of the ground. And that could be a narrow thing or a wide thing. And that's like three main categories of balance poses we can think of. Do one round of them early and see how it feels and then move through some more of the practice, come back, revisit these same categories Mm -hmm. of poses and see how they feel different and then think, all right, well, what was different between 35 minutes ago when I first saw these three poses and now (laughs) what got opened, what got engaged, what changed in my flexibility, what changed in my sense of competition or, you know, self-awareness, you know, my need to win at this yoga class. Mm, that's a lovely idea. I really like that. Just to compare, there's so many things you can look at once you get at the end of class, like depending on where you started, different things are going to have shifted. And that's a really beautiful practice of self-inquiry within your own asana practice. You just mentioned self-awareness and it's kind of like you read my mind because I was thinking like, what are some other skills that we might require to balance? And what came to my mind was like awareness, right? Like there's a presence. Is there anything else that you like to bring in to focus on to help people figure out or to find balance with ease? We talked a little bit about gentleness, you know, compassion for ourselves, in other words, but (laughs) anything else? 
Well, Adrishti is always really important. So often I find in the wall of my studio, we have these gold circles that are up on the wall, kind of like the dots on this wallpaper behind me. So they're at eye level for folks to focus on, but sometimes that's too difficult to look straight ahead and I'll have them look down instead. I've had a lot of students say, oh, it was so much easier once I wasn't trying to look straight ahead and instead was looking down. Or if it's too easy, not too easy, if it's really easy and you start to get bored, then you take the drishti out and you either look up toward the rafters of the studio or up toward the clouds if you're outside, or you close your eyes entirely. And all of a sudden it's got a lot harder. So that's one way of kind of either using our visual perception as a stabilizer or removing it in order to make things more challenging is an important layer. Then of course the breath, you know, when students and when all of us are on the verge of getting a balanced pose, we have this tendency to hold our breath, like the breath is going to disrupt the pose, but mm-hmm. the breath is the sine qua known that without which nothing of the pose, like it's not a sustainable long-term policy to hold your breath in the pose. You could only maybe do that for 30 seconds or so before you're going to start to regret it. So coming in with an easy breath, staying with the breath that helps to suit whatever the effort is of the pose. And you might come into a warrior three with an easy breath, but then need to kind of focus your breath a little bit more as you stay in the shape. Um, So finding the right breath for the moment is always really important. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good reminder because we talked about like that rigidity and that if you try too hard, it makes it more difficult. I think it's the same idea with the breath. If you hold your breath, you're creating that like holding in pattern, like that tension. And if you're completely new to balance, like I remember when I started to do handstands, I had to hold my breath to find any second of holding in the air. Right. And over time, you're able to like brace but soften at the same time so you can still breathe so learning to do that within your standing balancing poses might also be an interesting pattern to watch yourself hold your breath and like can I stay but start to soften into it and bring my breath back into a rhythm that is supportive So you mentioned the eyes and you mentioned like the jazz hands that might be distracting for the eyes. Do you consider that just in relationship with like your vestibular system and how the optic nerve and the nerves of the ear are kind of connected and the eye movement might affect your balance through the ears? Or is there something else that I'm not thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. So you're getting a visual disruption, but you're also, your brain is involved in moving your hands at the same time. And you get some destabilization from wagging your hands around. I mean, another way to make things harder, I actually had like a competition with the orthopedist once when I had rolled my ankle out on the trail and I went in and I was like, okay, I think I need some help with this. He said, well, you need to work on your single leg balance. Like, <laughs> oh, really, dude? And then, so we stood there and I pulled my leg up and he's like, well, can you do that with your eyes closed? And I closed my eyes and he closes his eyes. He's like, whoa. He said, can you do it with your eyes closed and be moving your head around? <laughs> I was like, watch me. So that's another way to disrupt things. If jazz hands is not enough of a challenge, you know, stand on a bolster with your eyes closed and moving your head and then just being on one leg might be enough of a challenge. You don't need to come into a lotus tree pose or something. Wow. Closing your eyes and moving your head. That is next level. (laughs) There's always a next level, Erica. I know. That's kind of the beauty. We're never going to (laughs) arrive. I agree. I agree. We talked a little bit in the beginning of balance, not only being that physical thing, the yoga, asana, the poses part of the practice, but also reflecting our life off the mat. And obviously this podcast is called On and Off Your Mat. So can we go back to what working, let's say we work balance physically, what can that help us invite into our life? We talked about effort and ease. That was one thing you mentioned earlier. 
and kind of effort and surrender. Is there mm-hmm. other theme that you see very clearly connected within either philosophy or just our modern world that we can bring in when we talk about or when we practice physical balance? Oh, yes, absolutely. And this would be a reference to the yamas and niyamas. The last three of the yamas, last three of the niyamas learned this lesson from my dear teacher, Leslie Kamenoff, that if we look at the balance between effort and ease, we're seeing it in the niyamas in particular, uh, where we go from tapas to ishvara pranidhana, from effort, dedication, and zeal, and then into just complete surrender. And the fulcrum for the balance there is your svadhyaya, your self-study. So we see it right there, like, all right, where do I need to put in effort in the things I can change to top us? And where do I just need to surrender to something that's bigger than me and something I can't change? Ishvara Pranidhana. But we also see it in the yamas because we're looking for the right balance between effort and ease. We don't want to take stuff that doesn't belong to us, like asteya. But we also don't want to hold back when we could be giving a parigraha. So we're looking for that fulcrum in between the two giving, receiving. That's a theme in our lives that could be difficult, particularly for women, I think, like to accept to receive when we're so used to giving. Um, So that might be an interesting thing to bring within your relationship, whether it's your family or your, you know, loving partnership or friendships or within yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's beautiful. So if we're not an athlete and we're not using balance as a way to recover or you talked about injury prevention or recovery. Mm -hmm. What is another goal that we might want to use balance for if we're still not convinced that balance are kind of (laughs) well the one thing that we're part. Yeah. Right. The one thing we're all doing all the time is getting older. So at some point you're going to realize, oh my balance has changed and my bone density has changed. And If I want to avoid falls as I age, I ought to be continuing a balanced practice. And this might be like literal like falls like our elder elders would have, but then also just dealing with shifting terrain. You know, if you like to go walking out on a trail, it's important that you keep your balance handy. If you live in an icy climate, it's important that you keep your balance handy. If you like to wear flip-flops and your foot slides off your shoe like mine does, it's good to keep your balance, you know, really on point because there will always be something waiting to trip you up. What's funny then when we start to talk about balance and injuries, it's tough to prove that we've avoided them. (laughs) And it's only kind of in retrospect, we're like, dang, I should have worked on balance a little bit more before I took that fall. So it's kind of like durability crash proofing system that we can try to keep uh, strong and healthy in in our bodies to be working on balance on every plane, both balance in space, balance within the body and a good balance between work and rest. Mm, Yeah, I think that's a very good summary. And like a healthy aging, we've had recently an episode on that. And it's really not about waiting that we're considered aging, you know, like as of 30 years old, or like our whole life, we are aging, like that's just how life works. Right. So if we're considering longevity and wellness for our whole life, we look at things that are considered, you know, for healthy aging. And I think balance is definitely one of those. It's not just about falling down when you're over 65 years old, although that is the most common injury that, you know, this age group suffers from, but also just the idea of doing the activities you love and continuing to do those for as long as you would like to do them, right? Whether it's hiking or any other sports where you might need some ankle strength and mobility or capacity to jump or 
mm-hmm. all of these things. So I think those are good reminders for listeners that even if they're not athletes and they just like to stroll in the forest with their dog, quiet mm-hmm. and listen to the oh, birds, yeah. then yeah. maybe a little balancing work is a good idea. Exactly. Especially if you have pets in the house that like to get underfoot or grandkids or kids in the house that like to get <laughs> underfoot, <laughs> the balance practice can be a good insurance policy. Love it. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? If there's like one takeaway around balance, you would like to really let listeners kind of catch or leave with, what would that be? So this works for athletes, but this also works for everyone. If we want to think of a continuum where we're either taking too much or not taking enough, if we take too much, then we wind up being injured. So athletes who are seeking peak performance, if they want to know like exactly how great they can be, they're going to open themselves pretty wide to the possibility or the inevitability of injury. And that's what happens when you're working at your upper edge. The good thing about not going there, but playing the lower edge is that the worst thing that happens is you don't have as much adaptation as you could have. So when in doubt, unless you are literally like heading to your Olympic trials, I'd say, leave it out. you know. And so it's totally fine. Like go to gentle yoga, go to yin yoga, go to restorative yoga, where you're playing the edge where if you slip over it, you're not injured. You just fall asleep or you snore in front of your classmates or whatever. So when in doubt, I would suggest the people lean into the ease it's not our default mode here in the West or probably throughout the world. You know, Maybe you'll bring balance that way. Right, exactly. We want to control the things that we can control, but the other side of the equation is we need to sometimes just lay back and let time bring things around to us mm-hmm. and not waste our energy on things that are out of our control. Yeah, that's a good reminder. I'll put all your info in the show notes, obviously, but in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to talk about this. If they want to say hello, they want to get your books or take class or training with you. Yeah. Uh, My website is sageroundtree.com. There's no D in Roundtree, but if you put a D in, it'll kick you over. Find it. Um, That's also my social handle. My books are available everywhere, including at the library. Don't forget your local library is happy to order things for you. And I have loads of classes online, so I would be happy to meet people wherever they want to meet me. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Sage. My pleasure. That was super interesting. And I think there's a lot in there for people to, we managed to like squeeze this in a short amount of time, but I think there was a lot of information. So we're going to leave it here for people to maybe listen to this episode twice if they need. And uh, (laughs) we also have a full month of yoga classes on balance, guys. So if you listen to this and you want to join me in classes, you have this in the yoga membership. And so we have different tools for you available. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general, anywhere you listen. It really helps other people find it. If you're looking for the show notes, go to ericabalanja.com slash 134. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.